We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We'll begin in chapter 12 today. If you've been with us, you know we've been going through 2 Corinthians together. We started at the end of January. We're going to wrap that up today. As Paul has been, and some of the other apostles have been writing to uh, the Corinthian church in this letter, some of their main concerns were the false teachers that were within the church who were leading the church not only uh, in wrong thinking, but particularly they were leading the church away from Paul and the other apostles' leadership. They were trying to undermine some of the things they did and basically set, them, set out to prove that they weren't apostles. And so over the last several weeks that we've been in 2 Corinthians, we've looked together at how Paul has refuted uh, the arguments and claims of the false apostles. And not only that, he showed last week how, hey, if they are wanting to look from a human standard, and he called it foolish to look from a human standard, but he said if they want to look from a human standard, we have as many credentials as they do. But not only that, he said we don't focus on that. We focus focus on our weaknesses because in our weaknesses, that is truly when we're strong because we rely on Christ. Now he's going to move from that and begin wrapping up the letter here. We're going to look beginning at verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to go through the end of chapter 12. I'm going to talk about that for just a few minutes and then we'll finish on through the end of chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 11. He writes, I have been a fool. You forced it on me. You ought to have commended me since I'm not in any way inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed with unfailing endurance among you, including signs and wonders and miracles. So in what way are you worse off than the other churches, except that I personally didn't burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Look, I'm ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you since I'm not seeking what is yours but you. For children ought not save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now granted, I did not burden you, yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. Did I take advantage of you? By any of those I sent you, I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Didn't we walk in the same spirit and in the same footsteps? Have you been thinking all along that we were defending ourselves to you? No, in the sight of God, we are speaking in Christ, and everything, dear friends, is for building you up. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want, and you may not find me to be what you want. Perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of all the moral impurity sexual immorality, and sensuality they practice. Now pause there and consider what what, uh, Paul is doing here at this point. He begins this section by saying, I've been a fool, you forced it on me. And what he's talking about is, just as he tried to defend himself, 
from a human perspective and called it foolish. He said, hey, you kind of forced me to do that because I had to show you we're not inferior to these people who are calling themselves and you're calling in some ways super apostles. We are very much so apostles. And in fact, we not only want to teach you, but we love you. And you can hear his, his heart for them. You know, as he's wrapping this up, you can hear kind of one desperate plea for them to follow Christ uh, in the teachings that they're trying to lay out before them. And as he's describing uh, a potential visit, he goes on to say this in verse 1. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I gave a warning when I was present the second time, and now I give a warning while I'm absent to those who sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. He's not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by God's power. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And I hope you will recognize that we ourselves do not fail the test. But we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. Not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you become fully mature. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I'm there, I may not have to deal harshly with you. In keeping with the authority, the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace, and the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray together. Father, as we look to your word this morning, Lord, we want you to open our hearts and ears and minds for everything that you want to show us. God, as we consider our standing before you today and our response to your word when we are confronted with it, Lord, we pray that you will show us how our relationships are before you and with you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Move now in your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, this is a conclusion to a letter. And uh, when you think about if you've ever written a letter, especially a lengthy one, you know that with a conclusion, it wraps up the final thoughts that you have for writing the whole thing. And oftentimes, uh, there may be some things that you've forgotten to include, and so you'll include some random thoughts. And as you look at many of the letters in Scripture, that's how they are. They are packed with uh, some random, maybe uh, trip plans, uh, random thoughts that maybe they're just wanting one or two lines about in the letter. But as we read this, we can see that there are plenty of things that Paul wanted to get across to them. But the big idea of this conclusion 
is the question, how will the Corinthian church respond to Paul pointing out the issues of their sin and to him pointing out the issues with the false teachers? How are they going to respond in this? Because honestly, how they respond will show evidence or lack of evidence of their faith in God. And as we look to what he calls them to in verse 5 of chapter 13, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. The reality is, if you are in the faith, as he puts it, you should be able to recognize an overall Christ-like attitude and demeanor in your life. And he wants them to examine themselves. And I think today, as we look at his heart for the church, for every single one of us, we too should also test ourselves and examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. Now, what does it mean to be in the faith? He uses that term, in the faith. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't just mean test yourselves, examine yourselves to see if you prayed the sinner's prayer. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he says here. He doesn't mean to test yourselves and examine yourselves to make sure you've had good attendance in church. That's not what it means to be in the faith. He's not talking about testing yourselves to make sure you've given regularly to the offering. That's not what he's asking. In fact, what he's talking about here when he says faith, he's not just talking about testing yourselves to see if you trust in Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. By saying in the faith, what he's referring to is the entire totality of what it means to follow Christ. Being in the faith, being a follower of Jesus, truly following him. And he says to each of them to examine themselves on this and to test themselves on this. I don't know about you, but there have been different points in my life where I've had some what I would call big tests that come my way where I have to be tested on some things. And when I was a teenager, there were no bigger tests that I encountered than my driver's permit test and my driver's license test. Now, if you all have taken those tests, you know what they're like. When you take your driver's permit test, at least when I took it, you were given a book that you had to study And man, I I remember studying that thing for months, it seemed like, before I took that test because I wanted to make sure I passed that test. Now, when you study that book, you got to make sure you know uh, the laws of the road. You got to make sure you know how a car works as far as the operation of the vehicle. You got to make sure you know what to do at all the signs and what the meanings of all the signs are, all of these things. And then you take a test, a written test, to see if you know these things. And if you know these things, then you pass that test and you get your learner's permit and you get to drive for several months with an accompanied licensed driver. But then there came that point that I took that driver's license test. And that was a similar test, but different in some ways. Because it wasn't just at that point about what I knew. Now, certainly what I knew was important, but it wasn't just about that. It wasn't just that I knew how to start the car or where the turn signals were, or how to put it in gear. Of course, those things were important, but it wasn't just about that. What the test was about is, could I take all of those things that I knew, all those things that I had worked on, all the things that were involved in driving, could I take all those and have them make a difference in my driving? In other words, was I actually 
ready to be a licensed driver because all of that had made a difference. And you see, when we come to this question about testing ourselves to see if we're in the faith, it's not just about knowledge of the Bible. Certainly that has some to do with it. It's not just about doing the things that make us look like a Christian. Certainly those things have to do with it. But what he's saying, test yourself to see if you're in the faith, is test yourselves to see if all of these things about Christ, all of these things that you know and that you've heard, if they actually make a difference in your life. Are you a different person because of Jesus? That is what he's asking here, and that is what he's he's telling them. They've got to test themselves and examine themselves. So I want to ask you straightforward this morning. How do you know that you are in the faith? How do you know that you are truly following Christ? This morning, I've entitled the message simply, Are You in the Faith? And again, I'm not asking if you pray to prayer. I'm not asking you if you read your Bible. I'm asking you, are you truly following Jesus? Now, on Father's Day, dads, I can think of nothing more valuable to your family than for a dad who knows that he is truly in the faith. Families, I can think of nothing more valuable to your dad than to know that his family is truly in the faith. And as we think about this question this morning, again, this is a personal thing. Test yourselves person sitting next to you, they might have a good idea, but you could have them fooled. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. And we're going to consider some markers that Paul mentions here at the end of this letter for the Corinthians, things that the apostles did, things that they longed to see in the Corinthian church's life, things that would show them that they are in the faith. And we're going to consider these things for us and help each of us answer the question, am I, are we in the faith. And Paul, again, as he was writing here, he was summing up a lot of the things he had written to them, and he began expressing uh, his return to them again and how he was excited about that in some ways. But there were some things that he was afraid of in his return to him, particularly uh, in the return to them. Look at verse 20 of chapter 12. Look at what he says. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want, and you may not find me to be what you want. What he's saying by that is, I'm afraid that when I come find you, that everything I've written will not have made a difference in your life, and you're going to expect me to show up and be lenient and not care, and so when I show up, I might not be what you want, because you're not going to be what I want. He's afraid of this. And then he goes on to say, perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, angry outbursts, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. But then another fear in verse 21 that's related, but look at what he says. I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they practiced. He was worried that he would come back and visit a church and find a group of people who had not repented of the sin they had done. You see, one marker of someone who is in the faith 
is ongoing repentance from sin. Ongoing repentance from sin. And probably, uh, if you've been around the church, you've heard this word repentance. Uh, The Greek word actually means a change of mind. You see, when we are in Christ, there is a change of mind that happens. On, On one side of it, much of that change of mind is because of God's work in us, right? It's because God has changed our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit being within us. And we change our minds not only about who we believe Jesus to be, we, we believe that he is the Son of God, we believe that uh, all the things that he did for us, dying on the cross, coming back to life, but we change our minds about sin. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. If we are in Christ, we think about sin in the same way that he does. And so there's a sense of this that our minds are changed because of what God does for us, but there's also a sense that we have a responsibility to do something because we have a changed mind. If you think about what Jesus did when he was healing people and uh, forgiving people of their sin, oftentimes, if you remember, he would say something to them afterwards. He would say, go and sin no more. And that meant that they were to go and live differently. They were to go to live a repentant life, a, a, a life that had a changed mind about their sin. And you see, Jesus told people that. God tells us in his word that we are to repent of sin because God is serious about sin. You want to know how I know God is serious about sin? Because the Bible tells us that he gave the most precious treasure at the cost, at the expense of our sin. That shows how serious God is. The fact that he would send his one and only perfect, spotless son to pay the punishment for sin because we couldn't pay it. Because he loved us so much. The Bible shows and says that God is serious about sin. You see, the reality is because of our sin, if we are separated from Christ, if we don't know him, the Bible says we are dead in our sin. There is nothing good that we can do to earn our salvation, nothing good that we can do to stand in the presence of a holy God because we have sinned. But the good news is that Jesus did everything that we could not do Being fully God, yet fully man, he lived a sinless life here on earth. And when he died on the cross, he took the wrath of God for all humanity upon himself. And on the third day, the Bible says he came back to life. And now we have the opportunity of eternal life in him, forgiveness in him. But the Bible says that we find that through repentance and faith in Jesus. And so today, let me tell you, if you are asking that question, am I in the faith, the first response, the first thought has to be, have I trusted Jesus as my Savior? Do I believe that he died on the cross and came back to life for me? Do I find my, my salvation, my security only in him? That is the first response to that. But then as we consider what it means to be a Christian, yes, when we are saved, God saves us and forgives us of sin, past, present, and future. But the Bible shows us that Christians should have an ongoing spirit, an ongoing attitude of repentance of sin. And so you got to think about your own life. When you are journeying through life and you come to find out by reading God's word that, man, what, what I'm doing doesn't really line up with how I should live. How do you respond when you are 
confronted with sin? How do you respond when it comes to these kind of things in your life? Is your overall attitude like, I, it's no big deal, it doesn't matter? Or do you have a heart of repentance? Do you have a heart that seeks after living the life that God has called you to live? The Bible shows us that Christians will have an ongoing overall attitude of repentance from sin. But another marker of someone in the faith comes from Paul's response in verse 8 of chapter 13, and he's talking about what some of the things were that the apostles cared about. Look at what he says in verse 8 of chapter 13. In talking about the apostles, he says, we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Let me read that again. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And so another marker of someone in the faith is this, an ongoing love for truth. An ongoing love for truth. And what is the truth? In particular, what we look at in this passage that he points to in verse 4 of chapter 13, talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. The gospel is the truth, right? We know that God's word is the truth. And think about what the false teachers were doing here. The false teachers, the false apostles, as opposed to the true ones, the false ones were making up their own truth. They didn't care about truth. They wanted to twist it. They wanted to conform it to what they wanted the truth to be. And so they were spending time spreading all this false truth. Now, I want you to think for just a second of how our world is today. Man, isn't that how the world is today? Wanting to make up their own truth, wanting to go about their own way to to say that we can all define our own truth, that you know, if we feel a certain way or, or want something to be a certain way, we can, we can even make laws to describe truth that contradict God's word, but it doesn't matter why, because we get to say what truth is. And that's just how the world is today, and that's just how Satan wants us to think. But rem- uh, remember, another marker of someone in the faith is an ongoing love for truth. Followers of Jesus, they know the truth. They want to follow the truth, and we know that we don't get to make up the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. A few chapters later in John 17, 17, he's praying and he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And we know that God's word is truth. I want you to know that we don't need to look any further for truth when it comes to how we should live for God than this book right here. This has everything we need to know in it because God's word is truth. But I want you to think for just a moment about your own life. Do you have an ongoing love for the truth? And you may say, well, how how can I know that? Well, think for just a moment. If we believe God's word is truth and it makes a difference in our lives, or at least it should, imagine if someone went up to one of your friends and said, Does he or she have a love for God's word? What would their response be? Think about just your own life. Again, we are testing ourselves today. If somebody went up to a close friend of yours and said, does he or she have a love for God's word? Does it make a difference in their life? 
what would that person say? You see, followers of Jesus should live differently from the world because we have, know, and love the truth of God's word. We should be different. We should look different. And there should be an ongoing love for the truth in our lives. And because of that, there should be an ongoing repentance of sin in our lives. But there's one more reference that he makes in this passage that I want to point out today, and that's in verse 9, particularly the last sentence in verse 9. Look at what he says. And all of these things kind of go hand in hand. But he says in verse 9, we also pray that you become fully mature. We also pray that you become fully mature. You see, someone who's in the faith will have an ongoing repentance, an ongoing love for the truth, but someone who is in the faith will have ongoing spiritual growth. Ongoing spiritual growth. Now, I think, and I've said this before, children are great reminders for us about many things when it comes to faith. That's why Jesus used them oftentimes for illustrations. Many of you know when it comes to growth, Uh, There is no place that you can look any more than kids to show us what growth looks like. I mean, some of you all, if you don't get a chance to see your grandkids, but once every several months, there may be times that you see your grandkids and you almost don't even recognize them because they have some sort of new milestone that they've done. You know, last time you saw them, they were crawling, now they're walking or now they're talking or, man, it seems like they grew six inches since the last time you saw them. Why? Because they are growing They are maturing. That's what children do. And listen, we're called children of God. And we are to be growing and maturing as well. And so when you think about these kind of things, we should have an ongoing spiritual growth in our lives. If someone hasn't been around us for a few years, they should come back and encounter somebody who seems very much different than the last time they saw us in a way that's positive when it comes to our spiritual growth. They should say, man, you're growing. You're maturing. There's something different about you than the last time I saw you. Why? Because we should have an ongoing spiritual growth. And how do we do that? How do we mature? Well, certainly it comes about because of God's work in our lives. We talked about, you know, as God's doing that work, he's the one that's promoting it and prompting us and and causing us to have a love for, for his things, right? But certainly when it comes to growth, we want to have time in God's word, we want to be time in, spending time in prayer. We want to spend time being with his people. And let me say, that's why church is so important. That's why many of us had spiritual setbacks some during COVID, and we didn't realize why sometimes. It's because we had been in some ways ostracized from the family of God in some ways as far as gathering together. Man, you know, all, all of these things are super important when it comes to growth because they help us learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter and finishing it up, he wanted to be sure that the Corinthians were in the faith. And today, I want to be sure, I want you to be sure that you are in the faith. And we've talked about a few things this morning, ongoing repentance, ongoing love for the truth, ongoing spiritual growth. But I want to be clear, and let me be very clear on this this morning. Maybe you took notes, maybe you wrote these three things down. These things do not save you. Let me be clear about that. These things don't save you. 
These things are evidences of God's salvation in you. And so these are all markers of someone who, who's in the faith. And you may be thinking, well, how should my life look then? Because, preacher, I'm not perfect. Now, if I asked all the people to raise their hands in this room who's perfect, guess how many hands would go up? Nobody's hands would go up. There is nobody here who is perfect. And we're not saying we have to be perfect and should be perfect. In fact, we've got a, there's a reason why that we have uh, salvation only in Christ, because we can't be perfect. But as God is growing us, we're going to live differently and live closer to the way that he wants us to live. And we should overall be improving. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through First uh, John as part of our Bible study. We've been talking about some, some things about what it looks like to be a Christian. You know, I think, and I was sharing this illustration on Wednesday, I think when it comes to our lives, sometimes we get so hung up on a small view that we fail to see the big picture. And what I mean by that is this. So let's say that you wanted to gauge how successful a company was by following along with their stocks. All right, and some of you know that following along with stocks can be stressful and all that kind of stuff because there are a lot of changes. So let's say that you take a one-day view or even a week view of a company, and you said, I'm going to gauge how overall this company's health is by looking at this day or this week. Man, some of you know, if you follow, like, you would have some peaks and some dips pretty much in every company. There would be peaks and dips and peaks and dips, and man, it would go up and down and up and down, and there would be some days that you look, and it's just down, 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 and you think, man, this company's awful, and you see some days that it's just up, 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 and you're like, man, this company looks great. But you see, the day-to-day isn't really the big picture. You start to zoom out to a year view or five-year view or 10-year view or the lifetime of the company. Then you start to really see what the big picture is, right? Overall, the trajectory, what they're wanting, is to go upward, right? A healthy company, that trajectory overall will go up. It might have some day-to-day ups and downs or week-to-week up and down, but overall the trajectory should be moving in a positive direction. An unhealthy company, overall, the direction will be moving in a negative direction. You see, it's very similar in our lives. Sometimes we get hung up on, like, and you may be thinking, man, yesterday was the worst day that I've had in a long time as far as following God. Man, I disappointed him yesterday, and man, just thinking about yesterday, I didn't do any of this stuff yesterday, and maybe you're thinking that. Or maybe you're thinking, man, yesterday... I was the best Christian in the world yesterday. Man, I, I lived, I mean, I, I just felt perfect yesterday. And I'm coming into church all excited today. But you see, I'm not wanting you to look at a one-day or one-week view. When we look to see if we're in the faith, testing ourselves, examining ourselves, I want you to think, over the last five years, ten years, or however long you've been a Christian, what is the trajectory of your spiritual health? Are you on a positive trajectory? Are you growing in Christ? Or is your trajectory one that is on the decline? Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10, he says, therefore brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things you'll never stumble. 
there are other parts of Scripture that says we got to make sure that we're in the faith. And so today, ask yourself, are you in the faith? And listen, if your answer is yes, I'm in the faith, then praise the Lord. And I mean that, and you should praise the Lord because it's only because of him that you can do any of these things. It's only in him that we are saved. It's only in him that we have hope. So praise the Lord today. And as we have our time of commitment in just a few moments, let me encourage you. Pray to the Lord, sing to the Lord, thanking him that you are in the faith. But if your answer is no, or even if your answer is, you know, I'm not sure, then let me say, don't leave this place without being able to say, yes, I am in the faith. You may remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, one of the things that the apostles wrote, he said, see, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And I would say that to any of you. If you don't know if you're in the faith or if your answer is no, today is your day of salvation. Cry out to the Lord. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross and came back to life, and I want to be saved, and I want to follow him. I want to live my life to please him. And listen, the Bible says when we make that decision and we begin walking as we're called to walk, listen, that's how we know we're in the faith. And so if your answer is no or unsure, let me talk to you this morning. Let somebody talk to you if you need that. But don't leave here without knowing for sure that you are in the faith. Father, Today, we are thankful that we can call you that. We're thankful every day, but especially mindful of that today. Lord, as we think about our lives, Lord, we know that for each of us, that only we can know how we stand before you. Lord, I pray for that person here today who maybe is unsure of their salvation or knows that they are not in the faith, I pray that today they would make that a certainty. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Spirit that, that you would help stir in them the, the calling, the, uh, all of the things that uh, your Word says. And Lord, renew their minds, renew their hearts as your Word says that you do. Lord, for those of us who are in the faith today, Lord, we know that there are days that we stumble. We know that uh, even still that we are maturing. And so, Lord, as we identify these markers of someone who's in the faith, Lord, help us to grow in these areas. Help us to remember when we do well. It's only because of you working in our lives. And help us remember that when we don't do so well, that we have your grace and mercy there because of Jesus. Lord, today on this Father's Day, may every one of us be able to leave here calling you Father. And Lord, we thank you for that wonderful privilege to have a relationship with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.